Welcome to the Boosted Volunteer Podcast. We share the stories of dedicated Booster Club volunteers and the tools and strategies they use to run successful booster clubs. We also have sought out experts on fundraising, volunteer management, and running nonprofits to share best practices. Hosted by Robin Eisler and Evan Eisler, you won't want to miss these great episodes that will help you run your booster club like a champ. Welcome to the Boosted Volunteer. Today we have John Bonnell, who is the owner of Bonnell's Restaurant Group, which includes fine dining restaurants such as Bonnell's and Waters and the pizza and casual place Buffalo Brothers. His new place, John's Grill, right near the TCU campus in Fort Worth. And now he's also kind of a part-time rancher selling meat. So he's an expert in the food world. He's an award-winning chef, author of multiple cookbooks. And beyond that, he's a master at tailgating and has donated his time many times to run charity meal kitchens after disasters. He's also been the tailgate cooker for a lot of the university sporting events. So today we're going to talk to him about some best practices for tailgating and other concession type cooking. And John, we are so excited to have you here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, I know that your day is busy, so I appreciate you carving out a couple of minutes to uh, speak to our volunteers. And Just in December, what are you talking about? <laughs> Not a busy month at all. <laughs> well, your day job is the owner of Bonnell's and the restaurant group, and I know you're running around town usually to do those things, but you also do considerable amount for charity, particularly in the Fort Worth and Dallas area. Tell us about some of your adventures. You bet. We're really active in this community. I do love the Fort Worth, just the nature of our entire city and that people are very active and love being in Fort Worth. So we try to stay as active in the community as we can. I'm sitting on 16 local boards or charitable organizations right now. And we just like to stay at and kind of give back to the community that supports us at the same time. Love that. I love that. It's You often find when somebody starts to give, they don't just give in one place. They give everywhere. So it's I love how you've tied it in with what you do and, and all of that. It's amazing work that Thank you've you. done. Well, let's start just with the basics. What are some of the differences between like cooking in a restaurant versus we're going to set up in a parking lot and start cooking hot dogs and burgers and grilling and Give us kind of an overview of what the differences look like and some things that we should be prepared for. You bet. You know, when you're cooking indoors, you already know what you've got to practice on it. Outdoor setup is always a little trickier because you just don't have the same parameters. You've got to think about, you know, do you have something over the top of it? Are you covered in any way? Or do you have a possible rain coming in? And also things like wind. What kind of fire do you have? Is wind going to affect it? All those sort of things. It all starts with heat source and safety. So, are you cooking over charcoal? Are you cooking over gas? Are you using a smoker? Do you have a flat top grill? All things to take into account when you get outside. You might need a couple of people to park their vans on one side so the wind doesn't start blowing your flames out. Things like that. It's a good thing. I would have never thought about the wind, but that can probably play a considerable role in efficiency and smoke and all of those things. Are you smoking out the crowd? And <laughs> Absolutely. Which way is the wind coming from? Is there going to be a lot? Can you help do something about it? Is there Lots of things to think about? If there were a group that were looking to do something like this somewhat regular basis, what's the preferred method of cooking? What's the easiest and best for a volunteer to kind of jump in and manage? Typically, the easiest thing to use is a flat top. It's going to get hot. It's already got some windbreak stuff built in, and it's just putting straight heat to meat. So for burgers, dogs, sausages, your standard stuff, it's hard to beat like a blackstone type of grill. You're going to use natural gas, propane bottles, that kind of thing. It's easy to come by. It's not hard to have plenty of fuel. 
And there's not too much to mess with. You don't have to get it started hours ahead of time just to make sure your fire's right. I love the flat top for that. And they're versatile. You can keep one side just warm and have foil pans on it to keep food warm that's already cooked, while the other side could be ripping and going so that you're cooking burgers as fast as you can. They're really useful. Flat tops are pretty hard to beat in a tailgate situation. It's good to know. You know, recently here in Austin, there was a tragedy involving tailgate cooking. It's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast today. And some volunteers were just doing that, grilling burgers and dogs outside at a festival, music festival. And they had a fire that was caused by gasoline. Can you speak? I don't know the details. Don't want to infer any details there. But talk to us a little bit about safety. You know, what should we be doing? Um, Should gasoline be anywhere, you know? Explain uh, how you uh, set any, up for that. Anytime we're cooking, safety is always a huge concern. And especially when you're cooking outdoors, there are several things I want to think about ahead of time and make sure are safe because accidents, when they happen, when it comes to a heat source, can be really, really devastating. Gasoline never belongs at any kind of building. If you are cooking, never use gasoline or have a gas can of any sort anywhere nearby. Gasoline is an explosive and not to be used in cooking ever. Make sure that you don't have one nearby. If you've got a little generator next to you that's operating something for your tailgate, make sure whatever your fuel source is, is downwind and far away. On the other side, when you're using a propane tank, take a look at where your propane tank is and especially the hose that connects it to your heat source. If you are going from a propane tank to a gas grill or flat fat, that hose needs to be clear and make sure that it's not Anywhere near a heat source, a lot of times people end up burning the rubber hose, the quick disconnect, not realizing that if it's just up against the side of the grill, it could start to melt. Those are things that we always watch for. And then on the other side, grease can be a big problem. So once you've got your heat source figured out and you know that you have nothing flammable or nothing that's going to melt and be a problem with your gas source, then you've got to think about what about grease buildup? You're cooking burgers. Most burgers are 80-20. That means 20% fat. So you have a lot of grease. Do you have a bucket to catch the grease? Do you have a way of moving it somewhere? Once grease catches on fire, it's very hard to put out. Think about what's above you, too, when you're cooking. Are there trees right above you? If you did have a bit of a grease fire, would it spark something like that? Are you under a tent that could catch fire if you had some grease ignite for a little bit? Grease management and your fuel source are things that we always try to think of ahead of time. If you've got a good plane going in, you're already halfway there. Wow, it's just so insightful. You know, those of us that aren't cooking in a kitchen every day, I wouldn't even have thought about some of those things. So that's just great feedback on what to look for when we're setting up those things. Now, I know that you ran a soup kitchen. We'll call it a soup kitchen after Hurricane Harvey in Port Aransas. I happen to know because I think I was there for a day or two cooking with you. What was that like? I mean, you were managing food outside for a week or longer, if I recall, cooking in a baseball field, right? It was on a baseball field. Tell me about that process and setting it up and managing it and coordinating it. Yeah, that was a crazy time. It was right after a hurricane and the entire island was pretty devastated. The hurricane came backwards, if you will. Instead of coming off the shore, it came from inland. And so all of the homes that let's say couldn't afford the biggest insurance were destroyed the most. And the expensive homes right there on the beach were fine. So everyone who works in that town had to leave. And there was no power, no nothing. And construction crews that were coming to do the work had nowhere to eat. So I got kind of a desperate phone call from a friend who said, hey, we've set up a makeshift kitchen here on the baseball field. We're calling it Cowboy Camp David. 
And we're just trying to cook for as many of the construction workers who are here every day. So they don't have to drive 80 miles to go to lunch. We need a little more commercial size operation instead of 15 people with their backyard grills just trying to make this happen. And so I said, how many people do you think you're feeding today? And he said, I have a couple thousand. <laughs> okay. So I put a plan together and three days later we headed down. Benny Keith Food Service helped us tremendously by bringing a refrigerated truck and dropping off a trailer for us. That meant we had a walk-in refrigerator, a walk-in freezer, and a big dry storage 18-wheeler that was going to operate for the entire week just on diesel. So having that kind of power and that kind of room meant we could plan menus and have all the food that we ordered from them placed in the order of what we were going to use. So we could start putting out 1,500 to 1,800 meals a day, first of all, based on that piece of equipment. And then we got 12 feet worth of gas grill. I got three 80 quarts stock pot burners and pots and flat tops as well. And then I got two convection ovens on propane and lots of extra propane bottles. So once we started putting big, heavy equipment together like that with tables and tents, we were set up to be able to cook for larger numbers rather than just a little 36-inch flat top in your backyard. It was amazing. I can remember there were people lined up for food. And you ran all of that with about a half a dozen volunteers, if I recall, right? Pretty much. I had one other guy who was a professional with me. He works in one of my kitchens. And everybody else were just friends and volunteers who were willing to come help out. And then we started, uh, I reached out to any local restaurants that were out of business, but had staff that had experience and were still there. I said, anyone who's worked in a restaurant in any way, I got a hundred dollar bill for you every lunch and every dinner you come and just help. If you've had any food experience, it makes all the difference in the world. And we just started cranking food out as fast as we could. And it was amazing to see the volume and pretty much every person who came through the line was wearing either a reflective vest or a tool belt or something. <laughs> it was all contractor crews trying to just rescue this island and put it back together. I love your energy, John. I love your spirit. You're just a let's go get it done kind of guy. And that we always, we speak to each other on that level, I think. So yeah, it worked well. I brought the heavy equipment. You brought the dose veggies. We- <laughs> <laughs> it's always a good time. It's always a good time. What are your suggestions for making sure food maintains a proper temperature when you're tailgating? You're outside, it's hot, it's cold. What are some quick and easy things that volunteers can do to keep, make sure we're in those, not in those dangerous zones where bacteria can start? Sure. The other side of food safety, besides fire and all that kind of stuff, is your food safe. And we try to stay in the right zones where bacteria and contamination and stuff like that doesn't happen to food. Outside, it's a little trickier. So, We'd like food to stay above 135 or 140 and stay in that zone, whether it's burgers, hot dogs, anything. Once you get down to like, let's say your burgers were sitting there at 100 degrees, stuff can start growing on them. And that's a real foodborne illness type of problem. So I think foil is king when it comes to outdoor cooking and proper temperature maintenance. You got to have foil pans, foil on top of them. That stuff holds heat really well. So Get your stuff, especially like I was saying before with flat tops. You've got a flat top and you got a few foil pans off to the side on low. Get your cooked product in there, whether you're doing barbecue, sausage, anything. Once it's cooked, get it into a foil thing, get a cover on it, let it sit there and hold, and you're going to be okay. If you leave it exposed to the open air, you get flies, you get temperature issues. Foil is your friend. 
And how long can you maintain something at that temperature? Like what's the best practice on that? Like a couple hours, three, four hours, if you're keeping it. Typically four is about where we stop. So you say, let's get something up to temp. Now, the quality of the product, I mean, a hot dog that's been sitting there for four hours versus brisket that's been sitting for four hours, you know, quality of product aside, once you got food up to temp, after about four hours, you start thinking, what are we doing here? That's when it's time to be rotating product and think of how fast can I produce it and then put it in a holding area versus keeping it forever. Now, come on, at the concession stand when we're running tournaments, those hot dogs sit in the crock pot all day, John. (laughs) All day, all day. But if they're at the right temp, right. that's a much different product. Yeah, got it, got it. We're keeping them steady at the same temp. Uh, my goodness. Well, you're in the business of food. So what are your suggestions for how booster clubs can maximize their profits on events? So a lot of the food at any of these events is a, is a fundraiser. They're going to sell stuff and earn money for their program. What are some suggestions for how to buy things more efficiently and how to use things a little more efficiently? That when you're trying to raise money, keep it simple. Start with product that's inexpensive, that we know how to deal with, that you are comfortable with. Don't try anything for a booster club event and say, well, this is the first time I've ever made it. You know, <laughs> Keep it simple. Go with ground beef. Go with chicken. Go with pork shoulder. Go with stuff that you're already good at and that you can get for a very good price. At your discount shop, your Walmarts, your Sam's, your Costco's, your restaurant depots, places that are going to be able to give you big discounts. If you're doing barbecue, think about portion control. How much am I buying? How much do I end up with after I cooked it? So how much money do I have on the table to begin with? And then what size portion or how much money? You always start with how much money do I have going in? And then how much money do I need to make on the other side? So it's usually pretty simple when you're dealing with inexpensive pets of meat. Again, if you can braise pork shoulder and make a great carnitas, tacos go a long way. Tortillas are very inexpensive. The toppings aren't much. Just an ounce or two of meat per taco is a great idea to do. And it holds hot. Once you've got great carnitas, they're going to hold and be perfect, really flavorful. Burgers and dogs are always easy. Sausage is always easy, but tacos do really well. And Fill people up. They feel like they're getting a good value. They feel like they're getting plenty of food. And there's lots of profit to be made when you're not using so much protein. Love it. That must be why tacos are so uh, exploding on the restaurant scene, right? Like there's all these taco places now. (laughs) A three or four dollar taco, like a street taco, you're holding your hand those little guys that should burst in with flavor, whether it's asada or pastor. That's an ounce or two of meat. And that's meat that's going to cost you three bucks a pound. So you really start to see some money add up when you just have lots of flavor, but the protein itself isn't that big. If you're talking about a burger, you might have a third of a pound of ground beef on there. Mm. Or if you're talking about brisket, you might have a quarter pound of brisket. The heavy protein ratio makes it harder on profit. Interesting. Just go with big flavor in a tortilla with a little bit of a pickled onions and cabbage and cheese, cilantro, onions, all these things that Add a lot of flavor and salsas, but aren't really heavy on the budget. On the budget. Now we know why we've got a torchies on every corner, right? <laughs> exactly right. They can, they can get you a torti- They can get you a nice little taco in your hand that you're happy with for about sixty-one cents each on their side, and charge you several dollars on the other side. So, hey, great when it's working, it's working. Absolutely. You mentioned the flat tops, a great way to go. Any other pieces of equipment that you'd say are must if you're going to be doing this on a regular basis or good ways to improvise if you're working on a budget and you can't go buy a flat top or something like that? Any suggestions there? 
I'm a big fan of smokers also because smoke and juice product is really flavorful and you can do stuff way ahead of time and it preserves well, you know, briskets and carnitas, all those kind of things. So if you've got a smoker, if you've got a friend with a smoker, anybody that loves to go to competitions, they would love more than anything to throw a bunch of you, but your meat on with their next competition also. Smokers are really great for adding flavor to products that don't cost you an arm and a leg. I think they're fantastic. Flat tops, again, the Blackstone brand is an easy one for us because it gets hot, stays hot, and they're very, very simple. There's not a lot of parts, not a lot of electronics, and you can put a tremendous amount of product across the flat top like that. We use them for everything from a food and wine festival. We're doing seared scallops for 500 on a 48-inch Blackstone, or you can do burgers on them. I mean, it, just a nice, hot, searing surface is pretty simple to use. Sounds like a great piece of equipment. Do you have any suggestions for how to handle payment for food at events? I know you do a lot of events on the fly. You're out and about. We do. Seeing a lot of things tend towards electronic payment now. So You bet. And it's so much easier to just deal with credit card and not even try to take cash. Obviously, of the Booster Hub system, so we have something similar to do the same thing on site with the Apple Pay and the Tap to Pay and all of that. It's that cash is just getting so cumbersome. I mean, just even blowing away or having a box to keep it in or, you know, all of a sudden it just raises the complexity. And just the security of it. I mean, you're dealing with volunteers and somebody doesn't, you don't want to have a guard sit there and watch someone counting money. So being able to use Apple Pay and all of those touch devices is much easier at these type of events. I don't want to ever get rid of cash, but for this kind of thing, most people are willing to just double tap their phone, set it next to your machine. And there you go. I donated 10 bucks to the school. Got <laughs> me a couple tacos. Yep. That's right. We kind of touched on this already, but we'll go back. So let's say you're going to run a high school football concession stand. What's the menu? What are you going to have in there? All right. If we're trying to make the most money, (laughs) I'm going, again, I'm probably doing either tacos or barbecue because it's easy, it's fast, and you can have so much done ahead of time. You're just assembling the order because speed is the key there. Right. Once you've got a whole lot of people coming, you need to be able to efficiently take their money, get a product. Now, if it's got my name on it, I got to get all fancy and I'm probably doing some quail or shrimp, barbecue shrimp or lobster taco or something because, you know, we get bougie and chefs, all that, that ego thing going. But if we're trying to make the most money for the school, less expensive product, as much flavor as you can pack in there. And, you know, you can put little condiments like different flavored salsas and picos and all your toppings. You can put those on a table off to the side, let everybody top them up themselves. That's the inexpensive part. So you're not worried that somebody's overhitting the salsa on you. Not that big a deal. It's a tomato-based salsa. It's just not pricing. So. Right. What's the dessert? Give me a dessert. What's the dessert for the concession stand? Ooh, you know what? It'd be really fun. If you've got a charcoal grill going, it'd be fun to do s'mores and let each kid come over and just light one and walk away with it. Give them a little boat with a fancy chocolate that you've already done and some graham cracker crumbs that they can roll it around in. Let everybody walk around because as soon as somebody sees one, they got to have it. They got like, oh, wait a minute. What's he got over there? He's got a marshmallow in <laughs> part. All right, Dad, I need some money. I'm going to do that. So anything interactive for desserts, totally sells. And you don't need to have a massive grill going. It could be as easy as taking a little handheld blowtorch with you and saying, hey, you want a s'more here? Boom, boom. Yeah. Just light each one as they go and let a kid walk off with a marshmallow. I love it. Very inventive. See, I would have thought like brownies. It's always good to have the chefs on <laughs> there. <laughs> hey, they're good. So you completed multiple Ironman, if I recall, including Hawaii. 
And it's so much fun that you bring that up. You know how you can tell an Iron Man? How? You don't have to. We're going to figure out a way to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, my question is, did this come out of the Boosted Volunteer? We always try to tie things back to like what happened when you were in school and the activities that you did. So did that come out of like a high school sports thing or is that something developed later in life? And if it developed later, what was your high school activity? In high school, I was very involved in sports. Back then, we were three-season sport kid. That was the deal. In the fall, you pick one. The winning, you pick one in the spring. So I was a football kid and then a basketball kid. And then I played baseball for a while. And later, it became tennis. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're just active. You have activities. You walked into class. Then as I got farther through in life, I wasn't exactly athletic enough to be playing in college, but still active. And then when I became a chef, man, I was not nearly as active. And suddenly I was getting bigger. And in my 30s, it's something, there was an exact moment that I've got a two-year-old little girl and I was going to have to buy all new clothes. And I started looking at other chefs in the industry and realized we are the least healthy people ever. All the chefs that I looked up to were dying in their late 50s, fourth wife, third rehab, all kinds of health problems. And they were incredibly unhealthy looking. I mean, just, you know, morbidly obese and every vice possible from alcoholism, drug addiction, just problems. And I thought, I don't think I want to go down this road. And the industry tends to suck people into the worst habits. I decided to kind of pick up some exercise and caught the running bug and lost 20% of myself in about six to eight months. Kept the running bug and started with a 5K. And next thing you know, ended up at a half marathon. And then somebody suggested triathlon. Triathlon is way fun because you can suck at three sports at once instead of just one, <laughs> 10 that you're doing. But the short ones, the sprint triathlons, and then you look around and say, wait a minute, that guy has an Iron Man tattoo. He doesn't look like he's in shape. Did you really do an Iron Man? If there's just sticks in the back of your brain, I wonder if I could do that. So I just caught the bug and couldn't help it. I had to start trying to do stuff that sounded impossible. I love it. Well, it's fun following your journeys and going, watching all those events happen on social media. It's great to be a fan of yours. You've always got so many exciting things going. Activity is the key to life. You can't just sit still forever. Doing something really makes a difference. I remember running with you a few times. You caught those running bucks for a while. Too, yep. Right? It, when you're not building a software company, you do a lot of running. But then I'm at the other side now. You sit for a long time when you're, <laughs> right. when you're on the computer all day, every day. Outside of school, you got to figure out ways to make yourself move. When you're in school, it's easy. You just move all the time, no matter where you're walking to class. That's halfway enough activity. Yep, absolutely. I look at my kids' steps per day. It's like 20,000 or 30,000. And I look at mine and 500 and I'm thinking, I got to move more. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of days. Yeah. How many steps do I have? No, seriously, put a call in there or something. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, anything we didn't talk about, John, that you'd like to suggest or mention for our volunteers out there? Hey, I'm just glad everybody's out there cooking. And don't forget, always take your nitro gloves with you. Whenever you're handling food, don't just grab everything with your hands. The other piece of equipment you want to take with you, the coolest thing and the most important thing is take a digital thermometer. There are all kinds of foldable digital thermometers. All uh, Thermal Works makes really good ones. Uh, Lava Tools makes good ones. But knowing that that burger is the right temperature instead of undercooking stuff, knowing that if you're doing chicken sandwiches, you got them up to temp, not getting somebody sick, or that your product sitting over there on the side is not sitting at 100 degrees, just growing bacteria. Digital thermometer 
Make sure you got gloves so that whenever you're touching food, especially outside, you don't have hand wash, you know, situations like you do in a, in a regular kitchen. So be safe. Know your heat source, you know, your potential, where your fuel is, where your grease management, gloves, temperature, thermometers, and raise some money for great cause out there. Let's go. Love it. Well, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to following your adventures all over Fort Worth and definitely a shout out if you have a chance to visit one of the Bonnell restaurants in the Fort Worth area. Yeah, thank you, Robin. All right, John, take care. Have a great day. You too. The Boosted Volunteer is brought to you by Booster Hub. To find out more about Booster Hub and how our app can help you improve communications, increase engagement, raise more money, and manage your Booster Club responsibly, visit www.boosterhub.com. And then make sure to search for Booster Club Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Booster Hub, thanks for listening.